This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's Wednesday afternoon. We are in studio together. That's right, together. Talking about Hellboy 2, the Golden Army. Let's break this sucker down. We'll see you guys in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Yes! Uh. Ha ha! You thought uh, I was going to say the MRFer in that I intro. really did. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, break this. I don't know why. I just figured you're just going to go MFer. I had a lot of energy. Yeah, I considered did. it. Did. <laughs> I considered I, it. I thought about it. <laughs> I almost just went, Kia! Kia! Herb Dean. Uh, amazing. Glad to have you back. Good to see you. Yeah, man. You- uh, I'm back in studio. This is exciting. Uh, Hellboy 2, the Golden Army. That's exciting. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, uh, I, oh, you know what I meant to do? I actually meant to do this before the show today because I, I'm really afraid with our schedules recently. We're just going to miss the 200th episode. Oh, shit. I, I don't think it's there. I'm pretty sure it's like we're like 196 range. Okay. I think. Wow. Um, but wow. but And because you have to go through the playlist and, and discount the like the watch alongs don't count. And there's like certain episodes that are yeah. like, like it's like, like, like the hundred rules or top hundred movies of MA or whatever, I think is like a two parter. So there's like some episodes that are weird. So you can kind of, you know, blur the lines so we can really make it line up. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so we can basically say whichever episode we remember and want to be 200 is. I started thinking though about all the fun things that I want to do for the 200th episode of our show, Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, all things movie related and pop culture by the bucketful. Um, there are so many things. Like think like there was like there's movies that we have talked about for years and our and our most die hard fans. The ones that oh, yeah. the ones that are just the core audience. Uh they love like as much as we do now. Like you have like like I I posted like a picture or you posted a no no, it, it was a Facebook thread. A guy saying that he's a guy fan and yeah. his nine year old son is a Bateman fan. Oh, I love it, this thread. It made me so happy. The idea <laughs> of a father and son talking about it. And like and like one of the comments it might have been from Liam or something, it was like it was like hashtag a touching look between father and son. <laughs> and it's just like making me laugh because it's like there's these there's these, these people that have been around now that like kind of know the rules, know the movies. Yeah. And so there's certain movies that have inspired those those topics that I feel like I want to be able to bring up more. Like uh- are there movies that like we've done? Because like for Warrior, we've never done like a true just Ben and Drew geek out Warrior episode. Because never the, done because a, the Gavin episode was like an hour and forty five minute interview. Yeah, and it was it was I mean uh, truly one of my favorite things I've ever done in this business. But it wasn't just you and I geeking out about Warrior. You know, there's there's movies that we talked about revisiting the Dark Knight for our watch. There's right. just so many things we haven't even we've never specifically covered one two and three fellowship two towers return of the king we've never done that like because there's and there's also movies too like okay you take warrior warrior comes up all the time so we've talked about warrior a million times but like take a movie like deja vu we make (laughs) we make time to talk about deja because we love it yes but like we don't get to go back and relive the wonder of talking about that movie very often like there's a lot of movies like that that if you go back to the beginning the early days that we love certain movies and they just don't come up that often. We should just write a list of movies down, like Deja Vu, like Unstoppable, like Dark Taking Knight, Pelham, one, two, three, Taking, like Crimson Tide. Yes, and like, we just <laughs> sit in this room and talk until one of us passes out. <laughs> it's like a 13-hour episode. <laughs> it, 
I mean, and there's also movies too that are like on the list um, that are really important that we're gonna have to do at some point. Like you know, Jarvie has been asking literally for years of his life for us to do Pearl Harbor. <laughs> literally years. That's not an exaggeration. Um, uh, hard boiled. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody's been asking about that movie. <laughs> He oh, no. fired us. As, he fired us as content creators long <laughs> yes, ago. He did, yes. Uh, but there, yeah. So I just was thinking about that's going to be episode two hundred here, uh, probably coming up pretty soon. I think we're going to get into Hellboy Two: The Golden Army in a second. You know, we we're going to kind of do a full breakdown of it. I, there's a lot that's happened, a lot that's going to be happening. So I think let's just take this time to kind of catch everybody up about what the f is going on. Yeah. Um, because uh, I'm hella excited. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the next big thing that we have coming up is that you and I are going to be playing each Just other. Going for a laugh with hella. I know, I, like, I tried to ignore... <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I wasn't sure if you were so excited that you accidentally said hella excited, and I tried to ignore it. Even Jeff Graham up in the booth didn't say it. I, Jeff, I thought you were just going to stop the show. Yeah. You know, um... <laughs> I it's one of those things where if a joke is said too seamlessly, it just doesn't even play. Did yep. you did you find it interesting that I said the phrase "hella" with all earnestness or no? The other issue it is that me. in Northern Ohio, people do say "hella" <laughs> earnestly a lot. So I was like, okay. "Oh, it sounds like I'm in high school sitting on the basement of my friend's couch." We went through this phase uh, in in high school where we said "hecka." Oh, I remember that. It was super dope. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Anyway, anyone that's still watching, <laughs> which is probably just my mom at this point, <laughs> um, Ben and I are playing each other in Houston on May 18th. We're yeah. very, very excited. We're playing each other in Booker T's World Gym Arena. Booker T just got reinitiated into the Hall of Fame for a second time as now a tag team player instead of just his singles career. He's been shouting us out like crazy. I am so excited and honored and like... Talk about geeking the hell out when you open up your Twitter and you see someone who has a million followers that you used to worship as a yeah. kid. I worshipped Booker T and the WWF and everything they did. And seeing him shout out you and me playing in his arena is out of this you, world. Not, like, let's not forget, Booker sharing my Instagram story of an image created by Jacob Patrick by, yes. in Action Industries. So now Booker is sharing Jacob Patrick's design and with our names on it. Yeah, and I was telling Jacob, I was like, a million people are going to see that by the end of the run of this Booker T promotion of yeah. us playing there. Like, legitimately, a, a million, million people. people. So, really excited about that. You mentioned Action Industries. We have this incredible team working with us. One person who I did want to shout out is Nuno Sar- Sar- Sarnadas. I'm so sorry, Nuno. I, darkdesign.pt is nice. what he goes by. Uh, that's his website. He's created intros and outros for the videos we're doing on uh, YouTube right now. And I just wanted to thank him uh, uh, you and I do not know how to animate, right. and we know how important it is. Those intros are amazing. We are going to be doing a reaction to you playing in Chicago using those intros and actually using another one of Jacob Patrick's thumbnails. So Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, I just played the movie trivia Schmodown in Chicago. The actual match plays uh, Friday publicly, so I won't talk at all about really what happened, but mm-hmm. the experience was... Unlike anything I have ever experienced, it was a thousand fans live. It was yeah. uh, walking into the intro music and, and having a thousand people with signs and cheering was like we did four three fifty for our first one. We were both on the free for all. That was five fifty. Those are exciting. This, this was insane. a different level. I was watching at home. Uh, I was watching the live stream at yeah. home, and I'd, I'd had like two drinks because yeah. I was like, you know, it was a long day. I just got off work, and I was hyped dude yeah i was hopping around my my house like walking around i was watching the stream like walking from room to room like oh my god like i was losing my shit it was unbelievable yeah. you played out of your mind um you actually got to meet the people that run the call to action podcast you i did yeah. alex mcfarland and who honestly dude i've been such a big fan of you for so long alex you're such a great guy no i'm just, I'm just <laughs> 
Uh, Alex McFarlane and James Spence, you met them. They run the Call to Action podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so I met James actually at Free For All, but I met Dylan Camacho oh, okay. and Alex McFarlane at Chicago. Gotcha. After the match, they wanted to do a quick interview. They were a cosplay as you and I. So Alex was dressed as you. Uh, Dylan was dressed as me. And it was unbelievable. I have a, I got to put a picture of the two of them up, and, and it was the whole experience was honestly crazy. And I feel like we need to save it for our reaction because yeah. we haven't said a word about Hellboy to the Golden Army no. on purpose. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and, and so I, I think there's that. And then, and then I think the last thing to kind of just shout out here before we fully get into it is that the next two months or so, uh, three months, I'd say, are going to be kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I've been living out of a duffel bag for the last nine days on the road. We had pre-tapes Shazam. We're going to have to do some other pre-tapes in there. Drew goes back to a gig, a really exciting gig pretty soon here that uh, he'll talk about when he's ready to. And uh, that's going to be pretty time consuming. Uh, I will be on the road quite a bit. So the next few months, we're going to be trying to hit our hit our marks here. Yes. And get these shows out and make sure that action industries continues seamlessly. But it is going to be a heck of a lot of work. And um yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of what's going on. So just stay tuned for that, guys, because we're trying as hard as we can to keep this machine rolling. We we love it. We yeah. do not want to drop the ball. Yeah, the very last thing we're going to do is shout out and salute two people. Brandon Buckingham, I know you've been going through it this week, brother. Very, very uh, appreciative of your patronage and you reaching out to speak with me this week. So Brandon Buckingham and Nicole Sweat Graphic, I believe. She's been sharing every single thing that we do with Action Industries, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So we wanted to thank you as well, Nicole. So Ben and I salute both of you. Boom. Hellboy to the Golden Army. The Golden Army. Yes, it's an action movie. We're co- we cover action movies on this show. We, we do. adhere to four basic rules. <laughs> they, uh... <laughs> the hero always plays by their own rules. Rule number one. Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs in the room. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. And rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. This actually hits all four rules. Hits all four rules. I would. I mean, I don't know if Hellboy is the smartest, but with Abe and with Seth MacFarlane on his side. Yes. Do you know right. the Seth MacFarlane voices? I, is so, it German? I think I thought it was more than one person does the voice, or is it just it's Seth? It's just Seth. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so because maybe it's something like one person's playing the suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what it is. Got it. Got um, it. and I know, uh, I know Doug Jones who does Abe. He's you know him and uh, Guillermo have worked together a lot. He's yeah. been creatures for him many times. He is the famous Shape of Water, water creature, whatever you want to call yeah. it. He he plays him, and he's also Abe in both these movies. He's um, also a friend, by the way, of Michael Klaus, um, who's another host on Popcorn. Has a show called I Could. Uh, I could never. No, I could never be. That's I could right. never yeah. be. Yep. Uh, it's a show. It's an inspirational show about kind of uh, people who whose jobs are amazing and inspirational. And Michael kind of says, "I could never be." You know, tell me about why you did what you did and what got you where you are. And uh, right. Doug did a full hour long show with Michael an hour uh, about a week ago here oh, really? in the studio. That's you awesome. Can, you can go watch a full interview with Doug Jones if you're a fan of his. Um, Michael does a great job of that show. It's getting a lot of press. So yeah, it's been getting um, a lot of press. I've noticed that. Um, but yes, so I, I would agree that the team kind of they do make up the smartest person in the room. Yep. The uh, what? That's for Prince no- Noada. Noada. He is the smartest. I would say he's figured out how to come back, get the crown pieces. He he knows that him and his sister are connected. Ben and I love this movie. We uh, do. <laughs> 
So a couple segments coming up on the show. We've been doing it a lot lately, but we've got to talk about it because I think it's very, very relevant in the space right now. Guillermo del Toro, under-sieged, overly-sieged, or properly-sieged. We've got our AMA question coming up, which you can always get in on our Instagram story competition once a week on Saturdays to get your question answered live on air. This week, our good friend Ira Atchison Hmm. won. So, Ira, we're excited to answer your question. And lastly, a couple of our favorite sequels, worst and best, or wish they would have happens, are also going to be talked about on the show today. Yes. Um, So, I think without further ado, we should get into the first segment of the show. This is Thesis Statement. It's your kind of your biggest, boldest thought about the film. This is the thing. If you want to talk about this movie with someone, you're going to bring out this point. You're going to say, this is what I think about this thing. Now, listen to what I have to say. It's the biggest, boldest thought. should almost be rooted in hyperbole. Um, Do you want to start with yours? Would you like me to, or would you like to go first? I think you should start. Okay, so my thing, (laughs) I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I love Blade 2. I do, and I also love Hellboy 2. And the thing about Blade 2 and Hellboy 2 is they have an incredible actor in common in Luke Goss. Now, he plays basically the same character. Night Daywalker. He, he literally looks the exact mm. same because he's a vampire, kind of, yep. in, in the other one. But anyway, um, my thesis is that Luke Goss is, is the most underrated B action movie villain ever made. B action movie villain. I yes. like it. <laughs> because he's not an A-list action movie villain guy. Now, I, I get that Blade 2 and Hellboy 2, when they came out, were definitely like big, big deals, yeah. you know, and, you know, Wesley Snipes was literally an A-list superstar when he starred in Blade He two. was, yeah. Um, however, who knows who Luke Goss is, and how many times do you look at Luke Goss, you're like, that guy's a great villain. Probably just me, and it's because of these two movies, but he's great. I, 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 he's a badass, he, he, he's got the physicality of it, he's got, like, this sweet, like, hunched evil walk in both movies. Yeah. I just really think he's a great villain. I really do, and I wish that I saw more of him in, I think he'd be great in A-list movies as, like, the secondary bad guy. Right. Like, the bad guy's henchman. He could play Mr. Joshua, effectively, in a movie. I just love him, and I wish that he was a bad guy in more films because he is my favorite B-list action movie villain. Interesting. Um, I'm going to jump in and say that... Everyone agrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you like like more as as a villain you wish got more play? Luke Goss? Or the guy whose name I'm forgetting, who's the villain in both The Crow and uh, and also... Oh, in Three Musketeers. Yes, Three Musketeers. Uh, his... Michael... Yeah, Mike Chino? No, 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 no. That's the singer. Michael... I mean, the, the composer. Uh, Michael something. I know his it's, name yeah, yeah, so yeah. well. I, Is like, it this Michael one... Wincott? Yes, Michael yes! Wincott. That's okay. a... Michael Wincott. God, that's tough. Michael Wincott. If, if Michael Wincott <laughs> and Luke Goss re- like, were remade Double Dragon? Ooh. <laughs> or maybe they were like a buddy cop movie together? No one would watch it, (laughs) except for you and me. Uh, That's tough. Uh, Honestly, Michael Wincott might be better. You're a big fan of Michael (laughs) Wincott. I'm a big fan of Michael Wincott. He does the, like, majestic 90s cuffs and collars thing well. Because his style in the early 90s is kind of the same style that he wears in in The Three Musketeers. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know... Um, so (laughs) Wincott, says the newso. So my my thesis statement is going to be that um, Guillermo del Toro is the least rewatchable popcorn A-list filmmaker alive. Um, I, and I don't say this in any disparaging way to like the quality of his work. Um, it's you just of, told me you hate Guillermo del Toro? No. <laughs> it's piggybacked off of a thought that I had about the three amigos of, of uh, Mexican cinema, and we're going to talk about that actually this week on The Action Guys, which is our other show we do on the Collider Podcast Network. Check out that on Friday. Um, but thinking about his movies, you know, Guillermo del Toro, like, 
Mimic is like kind of his early breakthrough. And then he, he ends up doing the Blade movies. He ends up doing Pan's Labyrinth. He does the Hellboy movies. Um, Shape of Water, obviously. Pacific Rim. He's had a pretty big career. Um, Crimson Peak. He he's done a lot of movies and if only it was crimson tide <laughs> and people like guillermo a lot he's like a he's kind of a fan favorite director but i think that once you get past the kind of campiness to a lot of his movies which they not, all have right he's super into it like once you get past the kind of campy quality you have to be like there aren't particularly good movies in the traditional sense of like strong filmmaking like i would say shape of water is a beautiful movie that tells a great story it's really interesting yeah but like pacific rim is a bad movie I hate to say it, guys. I it's that movie isn't good. When like, the kaiju attacks San Francisco, <laughs> like it's enjoyable. I just make that voice to myself yeah. sometimes when I'm driving I or just doing laughing. stuff, and I laugh. <laughs> and, and so I think honestly, unless you're super into the style, unless you like really buy into the sort of campiness that has a bit of like a Roger Corman with a really high budget B movie thing going on. Yes, it's just not appealing. After like, watching Hellboy one, I was like, how the. F- did you get the money to make Hellboy to Oh, Pan's Labyrinth came out in between. That's why. And and the but like that's the thing is like people people love Guillermo. People they love do. that kind of movie making. And I actually when if you're like, what do you think of Guillermo del Toro? On surface, it's like, I love him. I want to hug him. Yeah, right. He's like the coolest people dude ever. People love him. That's the thing. But I could not agree more with your thesis. You know how many times I've watched all of his you know me yeah. and you know I love to watch movies again yeah. that's one of my biggest downfalls of studying for the Schmodown is yeah. like I just wish I could go watch Blade 2 again yeah. I've seen Blade 2 probably 20 times I've seen Hellboy 2 probably 10 times yeah I've seen Hellboy twice yeah I've seen Pacific Rim probably twice yeah. and everything else I've maybe seen once and and it's weird because I think Shape of Water and I think Shape uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth are, yeah. are interesting movies I think Pan's Labyrinth is probably the best thing he's ever done yeah I have no interest in watching anything that he does at all. It's just... uh, Again. It's just so weird. Like, it... um, It doesn't really make sense. No. But he also kind of is... he, He exists in his own kind of category as a filmmaker that I think is awesome in its own right. It's just not particularly rewatchable. And I think some people would actually make the argument that if you're into that style of movie, it's 100% rewatchable. That, like, it's very rewatchable. That he's, in fact, the most rewatchable of the three amigos of Mexican cinema because he's he makes these popcorn movies. Like, people love Pacific Rim in some ways, but I just... Yeah, I don't know. Just get tired. I just get tired of it. It's yeah. not. It's not interesting to me. You know, Jeff, you're you're a, a very talented writer, in my opinion, and you've you've spent a lot of time in this space analyzing film. How do you feel about Guillermo and where he's at in the public eye as a as a filmmaker? Yeah, you guys are having a really interesting conversation. To me, he's got like Burton esque qualities, where like his films do a lot, and like they're really really anchored on style. But if the style doesn't work for you, it's tough to go back because it's there's a style over substance element. Right. Um, and I think in the same way that Burton leans into camp and like sort of British horror sensibilities, he's probably doing the same thing with like Latin myths and yeah. I don't know. I I really like Tim Burton because his stuff is funny, but I don't really like Del Toro, even though I do see kind of a big Venn diagram between those two as directors. And I, it's funny. Big Fish is my favorite movie. I've said that before, but. Whenever people tell me they don't like Tim Burton, I'm like, nah, I get it. He's not for you. I love it. And I feel the same way about Del Toro. Interesting. Um, Alex McFarlane jumps in here in the chat and says, Pacific Rim is a fun time, not a good movie. It's like a Transformers movie. I mean, that's like kind of a, that's kind of great. And like the the concept of good, right, I think is a relative term. I certainly don't feel like my opinion is better than someone else's opinion when I use the word good. Like that's not right. If somebody else could say this is a good movie, this is a bad movie, they're just as entitled to feel that way. Um but in terms of like what makes a movie 
relatable to a wide audience, what makes a movie appealing and uh, rewatchable. Often it's it's simple stuff that's like really engaging. And I like it's good that they give you the um, it's good that they put the thing on the screen at the beginning about who Hellboy is to start this movie. They're like, well, eh, none of you guys remember the first movie. So <laughs> which, which I didn't at all. No. So it's like, here's a title card that explains what Hellboy is. This is all you need to know. And you're Which, like, okay, so now and now you're going to want me to learn about all these characters for the first time because I don't remember any of these characters. Well, and the problem is, is in the first film, they didn't really give you a lot of the... The, the characters weren't super likable, and, and like, I didn't care about any of them when I watched it again. I don't think any of these characters are likable still. They're, they're not. I, That's the thing, <laughs> is they're not likable still, and I think the, the most likable character in the first Hellboy was Abe, and he just gets injured and disappears halfway through. Yeah. He gets, like, hurt, and then he's just gone for the whole rest of the movie. You're like, wait, I like... I like that guy. In the first one? Yeah, but like oh. Selma Blair is the most the most emotionless actress. Like her and Kristen Stewart start yeah. a club of just like not making expressions while acting. Yeah. And then uh I, yeah, I mean Ron Perlman is it it's like I almost like I only like Ron Perlman. Do I like Ron Perlman? Yeah, this you know? this, this movie is a wonderful combination of like of like underdog likable sensibilities, but not like high quality. If that makes any sense. Like it's hard to dislike Ron Perlman because he's like seems kind of awesome, right? And, and he's like, and I know he's kind of awesome. Like and friends you don't of ours have interviewed hate him. Selma Blair because she's like she's not the worst, and also especially with what she's going through yeah. now in her personal life, hundred you know? percent, right? Like and, and like you you look at Abe and you're like, oh, this is a really interesting and cool character. You know, you look at even like Jeffrey Tambor, more controversy. Um, oh you, wait. Really? This is he? a Me Too guy last year. Oh. Um, even you look at Jeffrey Tambor and like you know something, and, and, he, and he has like a huge story arc in the first one, and they don't even bring up John Hurt in the second one. And he's the best part of the first movie. Yeah. Okay. So I haven't seen. I hadn't seen either of these since theaters. Yeah. Well, truthfully, the, honestly, the first movie is is much better in a storytelling aspect. Yeah. But it's also just too long, and I don't care. So I think rather than just continuing to rag on Hellboy to <laughs> the Golden Army, which is going to be hard for us to avoid because uh, every once in a while, guys, look, we got to just tell it like it is. Every once in a while, we come across a movie on the show and things line up in a certain way yep. where we plan on doing something and it just, we have to be honest. We can't just sit here. We don't have a guest. We're not having to try to make somebody who was in the movie feel good. We literally are trying to be... We had three movies to cover as an option this yes. week. It was any of the three Hellboys. And the one that just came out, I've heard, is the absolute worst thing that's happened to... Com- Why did they make it? That, I, that should have been my thesis. That's a better question. That, I, and and we were going to maybe do the new Hellboy, except uh, it... Thank God, actually. Thank God <laughs> that that it turned out that that movie's screening was on a day that I was out of town, so I didn't drag us to a press screening for it and get us hyped on possibly doing it and announce it. Like, it worked out in a way that that was not an option for us. Uh-huh. Um, because, it says that it was... In, someone says in here, uh, Dark Saint 27... Dark Side Saint says it's incredibly gory. I heard it's very cool. violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could have been a good thing going for it. Okay, so I, we've kind of gone over our thesis statements. I, I, I guess I guess the point is, guys, we're, we are going to talk about the parts of this movie that we like, because yes. the next part of the show that we're going to talk about is fist pump moment. Yes. This is when something happens in the movie, you kind of look around, you're like, are you seeing this? This is so cool! Oh my god, I get to watch the rest of this movie right now! And that never happened for either of us. No, I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I was like just so used to doing your normal spiel. Uh, Alex McFarlane once again is saying in the chat, $120 million is what he was offered to for the budget of Hellboy 3, and he turned it down because he wanted $180 million back then. So honestly, Guillermo, I love you, bro, but uh, let's, let's get your uh, priorities in, in line. I think you should go first. Yes. So I remember when this movie came out in theaters. Some of you guys know I had a penchant for comic book reading as a child. I have a lot of comic books in my mom's basement, and Hellboy... 
Hellboy existed in this part of comic books at a time when comic book movies were just starting. So if I remember correctly, <laughs> the first Hellboy is 2004. Mm-hmm. And by 2004, you've had two X-Men movies. You've had two Spider-Man movies. Uh, at that point, the second Spider-Man movie comes out. You know, you've got you've got the Marvel thing is kind of going on. <laughs> um, DC has not come back yet with... Uh, Superman Returns. So at that point, all DC's had uh, is like a bad Batman movie. They haven't even done Begins yet. So when this when this movie came out, we were not yet in the era where we knew where things were going. Comic book movies, by and large, were like Ghost World and American Splendor were the things that got me excited as a kid because like they were based on indie comic books. Right, and right. Hellboy is not a Marvel or a DC property. Hellboy is a Dark Horse comics property. Dark Horse in the pecking order was always like fourth ish, fifth ish in terms of size of publisher. And they always would do kind of darker stuff. Alien, Predator, those were Dark Horse comics. Um, and, and the first Hellboy was, it was dark, and if they would have just tightened it up, it was it was beautifully dark. It really was. So Hellboy was like a cult classic comic book, because Mike McNall, the guy that made the comic book, he, he kind of created this really cool, really stylized world. The character of Hellboy with a big arm, like, it just, it had this really interesting creature design sort of feel to it. So it was part of this uh, this time in comic books when every single comic book that would come out would get would get bought up by a movie studio. They would movie movie studios would go into comic book <laughs> stores and just like look at the walls and be like, okay, what hasn't been optioned? What can we buy? And so Hellboy was early on in the phase where like it was interesting, it was making an impact, people saw an opportunity to make it, and they bought up Hellboy. And this movie came out. And I remember the first one came out and thinking, oh, this is a big deal. People love Hellboy. I can't believe they actually made this. This is a dark horse indie comic, and now it's on the big screen. Wow! Like I didn't even like Hellboy that much, but I was still excited for that reason. Right. By the time the second Hellboy movie came out, we were dealing with the launch of the MCU. We had already gotten two of the, uh, we had already gotten the Dark Knight. We had already got like we were already, already Iron Man, Dark Knight. Yeah, we were yeah. right at the beginning of like what turned into where we are now. So um, when the second one came out, I remember going to the theater and thinking, I, I don't really care. There's a lot of options now and a lot of time has passed, but I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to go see this movie. And I recall watching the movie and, and finding like. I didn't relate to many of the characters. I thought that like the world they were building was pretty cool. The character design was pretty cool, but there was one sequence of the movie that I've always remembered. It was the only part of the movie that ever stuck out with me. And it was the first thing that you and I both talked about when we, when we got together in the studio today. And I looked forward to it when I rewatched the movie yesterday, getting to this part to see, is it going to have the same impact? And it absolutely did. Um, and it's, and it, but, it, but differently than I remembered. So, the part I'm referring to is when Prince Nuada. There you go. Um, Say it. <laughs> His name's Prince Nuada. <laughs> uh, Nick, we're not going to be casting you in the role. I'm Prince Nuada. I got a sister. <laughs> if she um, hurts herself, I hurt myself. <laughs> we're bonded. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, but, uh, but the the deal is, it, it's when uh, Prince Nuada takes out the, like, green bouncy bean and throws it at Hellboy, and he's like, kill him. And it turns into this big elemental, this, like, forest elemental. It's like a god yeah. of the forest. And it's it's a really interesting scene because, the obviously, the money spent on the CGI back then was probably enormous, and the design of this creature was really specific. It's really cool-looking. And it's supposed to be this big challenge for Hellboy, but in the end, he just kills it with a big gun, which is kind of dumb. Which is kind of lame, but when he kills it... When he kills it, the coolest thing that happens is he, like, shoots it... And it explodes and like basically like births moss all over yeah. the city. It like and and I think it's and it's like and its head is kind of like one of those those like dandelion or yeah. whatever those called where you blow on them and they just kind of 
You and know? it's really cool. And it's it's the most it's the most interesting looking part of the movie. It's the most kind of like beautiful part of the movie. But even more than that, even more than that is I think that the storyline they didn't lean into almost at all in this movie that's so much more interesting than most of what we got is Prince Nuada sitting there talking to Hellboy about yes. you have more in common with this thing than these people. It's the last of its kind. Like that is fascinating. It is. And, and, and even <laughs> at the very end when Nuada is like losing or about to die, he says it again. He's like, these people have already turned their backs on you. They already hate you. Like, why are you fighting for them? That's the heart of this movie. That's what this is all about because that's all Hellboy wants to do still is fight for these people that hate him. And they like miss they like miss the fact that that's so much more interesting and cool and beautiful and relatable than like weird trolls and like fucking and like the 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 troll grandma lady for comedy. That's the other thing about Guillermo and I've said this many times because of Pacific Rim, when he's just given the freedom to write his own comedy in English now, and, and this is not a slight, it's the same thing as is like why my mom doesn't understand a lot of jokes that I tell her that are like either super sarcastic or super dry. Yeah. We have different comic timing and, and things that we find funny in different cultures. Like you talk about people watching British TV and how it's so uncomfortable to watch if you're an American that, that yeah. I can never watch the original office, but I love our office, you know, right, like things right, like right, that. Right, right. Guillermo's comedy from his background doesn't always translate well over to what we consider intelligent comedy in Hollywood now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that this movie suffers from that a bit. My fist pump is literally the same thing. It's the same moment, but it's not quite because of... It's because of you You see Guillermo's eye for character and creature design. Yeah. You see this genius that he is because... He is a genius. He, that's, he's, that's the clear best part of the movie. Yes. And, and Ben and I know that he's a genius. Yeah. And we respect what he does... His ability to build monsters, and my personal favorite monster in this movie actually isn't the elemental. It's the eye thing with the, the yeah, yeah, the, the, with all the eyes, when, the one that pulls the spear tip out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that, what I don't know what the hell to call it. It's just beautiful. It's awesome looking, yeah. And, and awesome, and you see you see little you know hints of, of, of Pan's Labyrinth yeah. in there, and you see why Guillermo is truly the master monster created and, and when he you know when he wins his oscars he says you know me and my little monsters blah yeah. blah blah that is what he is he yep. is the greatest monster creator i think in modern cinema and i love seeing every single one of them it's so much so that i stopped when watching the film to be like wow that's beautiful and and it's so deep like the depth that he went to of this creature and what it would do when it died when it's in the movie for what two minutes yeah like really it did not very long I mean, I, I found myself, as I was sitting there watching that sequence in the movie, I found myself thinking, why is this a Hellboy movie? Like, yeah. all the most interesting parts about this movie have nothing to do with Hellboy. Oh, like, yeah. Thank you, Jeff, for pulling that image. All of the parts of this movie that I like are not Ron Perlman, Selma Blair, Abe Zapien. The, like, they're all the weird, the world, the creatures. Like, I like the prince and the princess. I like all these monsters. Yeah. I like the moral dilemma that's faced of, like, somebody who's an outcast. Like... All the like dumb comedy with Ron Perlman was just like, what is this? Like, what? Why? It, it cheapens the movie. That's it really what I'm again, like the comedy cheapens the film. Yeah, um, which is usually not always the case. Usually, you know, injected comedy can can bring things, you know, can bring you back to to, to reality or like calm you down. Like we always talk about this, like inflation of the balloon. You yeah, know, movies need that, but I just think he kind of misses here. Uh, a couple people saying that uh, Luke Goss, anything that Prince Nuada does when he gets into fight is their fist pump. He's sweet. His fighting is awesome. Yeah, he's really awesome. Uh, Mitchell Bowker, fist pump. When Kraus takes control of one of the Golden Army soldiers. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, Alex McFarlane, when Kraus kicks Hellboy's ass. That's her favorite part. Um, glass hole. I think that's about it. 
Uh, yeah. Yep. Whenever Prince Noir starts fighting, yeah, it's from Jarvie. So a lot of great fist pumps, about the same. A couple of people mentioned the Elemental as well. Let's get into the next part of the show. Yeah, let's get into the next part of the show. Let's talk about Star Profile. So, uh... You got uh, Ron Perlman's uh, three previous films. You got Uncross the Stars, 2008, In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, 2007, and uh, Five Five Girls, 2006? With a five instead of an F. Huh. Genius. In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. Isn't, aren't other famous people in that? I don't know what no? that is. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Selma Blair on the other side of it. You've got The Poker House in 2008, My Mom's New Boyfriend in 2008, and Feast of Love in 2007, which this is really the most interesting thing about I think both these films. Yeah. It's like Ron Perlman has Sons of Anarchy happening, right? Is it not even happened yet? By 08? Like, I think it's probably not happening yet. I would say Sons because I think, like, the, that golden age of TV that everybody thinks of right. is, like, 2010, 2011 kind of range. Why these people, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like, I wonder, like, it's... I guess I guess if we looked a little further back, Jeff, can you do me a favor? Actually, the screen's not up, so it's not going to work. But I would love to know, like, um, what were Perlman's movies that he did after Hellboy one, like right, like in oh four oh five, other uh, early part of oh six. Same with Selma Blair. Yeah, like, I got you on Perlman. Oh, Scooby Doo, Pirates Ahoy, huh. uh, a lot of direct t- direct to DVD Hellboy stuff. So sort of storms. Hmm. Uh, Spiderwick. Oh yeah, Spiderwick Chronicles. Is that like oh five or something? Movie. Uh, it's actually. Oh, wait, right before Golden Army. Okay. Uh, a lot of voiceover. Weird. So he, like, didn't really get famous after Hellboy 1. He, like, didn't really break <laughs> <wonder> out. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's the thing is he never did. He was he, he got very popular huh. from Sons of Anarchy. He got popular playing Hellboy, but he never... Popular really, from Drive? Yeah. It's good but he drive. never really breaks through. Uh, and Selma Blair, you go back to, like, 04, 05, 06. What's she doing right after Hellboy 1? She had the Scream franchise kind of going on at the same time, right? Because the first one's in 99. 90, or no, no, the first one's in 97. or something. So we're looking at Selma Blair, them, right? like circa 2004. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, yeah, in Good Company. Oh, The Fog. Oh, yeah, yeah in Good Company, uh, The Fog. Those were movies. Uh, okay. those, those, were like, those were like commercial movies. Yeah, The Deal, The Big Empty. Interesting. Mm, wow. The ironic thing is that Seth MacFarlane is the most famous person in this movie. God, that's so weird. Isn't it? And he's not even in it. This is his voice. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I don't know how these guys, these these characters, these uh, these actors. It was like this franchise was like such a cult classic franchise, but not actually popular in the sense like they didn't really do anything for the people involved. No, and that's why this this third one is just so. <laughs> why the, did it happen? The new Hellboy. Can you can you speak on it? Can anyone you in know the what chat? I think? Or, yeah, Jeff. Anyone? Let me know. My the f- thesis, if I had to have one, would be. Hellboy is the biggest prestige TV missed opportunity of any comic book franchise. Yeah, that's a good point. That's because a great point. Because we've been talking about the fact that everything in this movie that works is the world building, it's the mythology, it's the opportunity for weirdness. And that's what Preacher did on AMC. This is the perfect example of a comic book opportunity where you pump money into it, put it on a Netflix, put it on HBO, and make something interesting rather than trying to fit it and package it into what a film needs. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think what's your most interesting point there, Jeff, and this is kind of what I was getting at when I talked about the era in which these movies came out and how different of a world we were in then. We didn't have what you're talking about yet. That didn't exist yet. Like yeah. right. the episodic pump money into a streaming service TV show where this would end up as a Netflix show today. Yeah. That didn't exist in 2004. 
Like you were, it was it was movie or bust, and the studios didn't know how to do anything other than just buy the property, pump pump money into it, and believe it was going to work. Hellboy happens because of those other comic book movies I talked about. It happens because Blade, X Men, and Spider Man are happening, and a studio goes, "Oh, this is really interesting. We can pay a lot less money for this. Yeah. This is a dark horse comic. We can license this. We can put money behind it. We're going to have a hit on our hands." And I. I'm just guessing because I didn't do the research on this, but I'm guessing the reason this movie came out is because they bought an option on Hellboy for a certain amount of time. They owned that option for a certain amount of time, and I'm guessing they were going to run out of that, and it was going to the contract was going to elapse, and that's, the property was going to. So funny, Alex Frost in the chat goes. Some accountant was going over the books and found out they still had the rights, and we're like, oh yeah, literally what you just said. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I would have to think because this movie came out in 2008, like. It was 11 years ago. Yeah. Like, it's it, you, that, that doesn't make any sense. You, they could have put out a third movie in the original trilogy. And the original came out in 2004, yeah. right? So it was four years between two, yeah. the two of them? They literally could have hired somebody other than Guillermo and just made a third one with these actors, and all the actors presumably would have done it. Right. Like, maybe Selma Blair, because of personal problems, wouldn't... Maybe she would have. I don't know. Like, I mean, she did... She just did the People versus OJ. Yeah. You know, so she, as long as her health was there, she would have done it. I think everyone would have came back. I think... Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, that being said, like you just said, that brings Guillermo back. We'll hop into production development here a little bit. We are going to talk extensively about the Three Amigos of Hollywood on the Action Guys this week, as Ben mentioned, but Guillermo del Toro is kind of the guy that broke through in America first. Yep. I mean, on a big level. And it was actually through... Um, I personally think it was probably Pan's Labyrinth was the moment where everyone was like, oh my gosh. Like, this you're, guy's- like you're legitimate, not like you're a campy... Uh, like like. Um- not like you're a campy superhero director, but like... Yeah, like you're a legitimate director because I think in, in America, for us to pay attention to a movie in another language, it, it speaks volumes on the film already. You know, Roma's a great example of a movie that was up for best picture. Yeah. And it's in black and white and completely in, I mean, two different languages, essentially. But Guillermo was the first one that broke through of the Inaritus and the Quarles and, the, and um, the Del Toros. And I think for him, he is now, as you said, the least watchable of all of them rewatchable excuse me yeah i mean that's a harder like we're going to talk specifically about that point who broke through first (laughs) we're going to talk about that on the action guys yeah it's debatable and hard to say because like you go back and like what does breakthrough mean right like does it mean commercial success does it mean like critical success because you could you can kind of make an argument for each one of them like you can sort of make an argument in some ways that like quaron getting to make you know great expectations with major actors is a breakthrough you can yeah. argue that mimic was like a that was like a real movie like he got a budget that's yeah. like 97 i, mean, I think Hellboy was a real movie Itu Mama Tambien. like that's that's like the late 90s like for sure amoros peros like there's so critically there's a lot that happened beforehand i mean these guys have been working for a really really long time but we really only started to pay attention to them about a decade ago guillermo made, guillermo made superhero movies that's the, where you can really see the breakthrough it's yeah like he made movies that made money and the other guys didn't really make movies that made money they made art films till much later in their careers and so that you know being said you know guillermo del toro and mike mignola uh mike is in charge of the comics which um he's the yeah creator and writer do you think that that is is hellboy 2 reminiscent of any comic oh it's hard for me to remember i i know that i read i know that i read like several of the hellboy comics probably back in like 2000 or like 1999 or something like that like i said it was it was um interesting because it was a dark horse comic and like and there's not very many properties nowadays more but at the time 
properties outside of Marvel and DC that got any acclaim were like few and far between, especially right. like superhero properties. Like, you know, this was a little edgy. He was like, a, you know, this like superhero devil thing that smoked cigars. From hell. And like, <laughs> yeah. So, so like it was just a different, different beast. Um, and I just, I just remember that was the sort of, it was like this cult classic comic that was considered to be quite good. And I remember other kids like, they like had such an attachment to it because it, it was like their indie thing. And I was like, right. Iron Man's the coolest. They're like, Hellboy's cooler. And I'm like, shut up. That was Hellboy. Let's put you in a locker. <laughs> that wasn't me. I wasn't okay. bullied. That was me. I was stupid. <laughs> I collected comic books. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we, we teased at the beginning of the show. We talked to the generals about it in our general chat. Guillermo del Toro. Overly siege, underly siege, or properly siege, Bateman? I think we probably both have kind of played our hand on this already, but I got to say overly sieged. And it's just because within the last 18 months, the guy won Best Picture and Best Director. He's considered to be like one of the visionary directors working today. He's so well-loved because he's so nice and approachable. He's vocal on social media. He's interesting. Um, He's incredibly smart. I, I, I do really like his work in the sense that like, I, I like his work in the sense that I think he's talented. I just don't like his work in the sense that it's not really my style. Yeah. It doesn't... If I was going to go back and watch a Guillermo movie, like, today, like just to do it, it feels like it's... Honestly, it's prob- probably pans, I guess, but I don't really want to watch that movie again. Well, yeah. I mean, a little girl gets shot in the head at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> like, really dark. It's intense. I, I don't. I don't know which one it would be. Maybe Shape of Water. Shape of Water is pretty interesting. It's, it's so funny. The the movie that I go back and watch the most that Guillermo did is actually a movie he produced, which is The Orphanage. Oh yeah, it's just yeah, a yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, right. creepy horror movie that I love, and it's very interesting. Um, I'm actually going to say he's properly sieged. Okay, and it's weird because I completely agree with everything you said. You know, Denuso and Belford, who popped in the general chat, had a lot of really, really great points to make. They both think that he's overly sieged. The reason I say that he's not is because it's not like Guillermo del Toro directs, like, a movie a year every single year. Yeah. And he's just like, big, big movie after big movie after big movie. I mean, they're all big movies because of him, but he's still doing his own artwork and his own storytelling. I'm saying properly sieged because the next thing he has is Pinocchio. And it's very interesting because... I think he could do an incredible job of the monsters in Pinocchio, the whale in Pinocchio, you yeah. know, the donkeys and the humans changing back and forth. I think he could make a Pinocchio that's kind of creepy. Yeah. And the original Pinocchio was kind of creepy for me watching it as a kid. Yeah. Depending on what he does off after that movie, I will I would love to revisit this conversation. Yeah. But the fact that he isn't directing Marvel movies, the fact that he isn't just always the biggest thing that everyone's talking about, the fact that he won the best director and best picture and then kind of just faded away into the darkness yeah. to go work on his next project. I like that. And I'm okay with where he is right now. Yeah. If he starts making a movie a year and they're all bad, or if Pinocchio is a complete like train wreck of him not being able to get on board enough with the story that's already there and yeah. inject his art, then I'll have a problem. But as of right now, I'm going proper. Do you think that the somebody's asking in the chat just here a second ago, um, who is it? Who was just asking about the Peter Jackson Hobbits? And do you think that the Hobbit movies would have been better had they done been done by Guillermo as it was? Uh, possibly going to happen it's so tough right because hindsight's twenty twenty. You, you think about peter jackson and you hear about three more movies and you're like don't everyone get the fuck out of the way yeah peter jackson has to make these yeah have right. you seen lord of the rings yeah that's where i was 10 years ago or whatever yeah now looking back at it those three movies were not great and if guillermo did them they'd probably be much more interesting than they were they're just it's so weird how like irrelevant they are. They're Somebody, so lukewarm. I had I had a conversation with Alex Kessler, a friend of the show, um, recently about this, and his question to me was, 
What do you think is worse to its franchise? The Star Wars prequels or the Hobbit films? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about this, too. Oh, was it on the show? It might have been on the show. Oh, it might have been with him. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Hobbit films, because, like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy did something totally unprecedented, which was, like, become a blockbuster genre franchise that wins Oscars. Yeah. Like, as much as Star Wars is great, it still, to me, feels like a summer blockbuster type of property. Whereas when I think of Lord of the Rings, I do think of it as, like, a prestige on the walls of the Dolby Theater cultural. Yeah. And what The Hobbit did to that clout, to me, is more detrimental than what the Star Wars trilogy has done to the originals, personally. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree completely. And I also think that there's a level of, like, there's a level of, like, understanding to the Star Wars prequels that I think people have, which is not not to say that they're quality, but I think it's sort of like a, this was going to happen. There's good things and bad things. But, like, we all wanted this trilogy. And this trilogy was done with the best of intentions by the people involved most. And, like, we're happy with the mythology here. Like, it was correct to do it as a trilogy. The Hobbit movies, it was kind of like, these never needed to happen. Yeah. They especially did not need to be a trilogy. Yep. The Hobbit's a very short book compared to Lord of the Rings. You could have done this in one movie. This was done as three to make money. And it's just endlessly expounding on material that doesn't need to be made. It didn't add something. This wasn't a saga that needed to be told with another trilogy. This was a saga that could have been told with one movie. Yeah, because The Hobbit itself is, what, like 100 100 pages or like 120 pages, whereas like Lord of the Rings is like... like A thousand pages. Yeah, exactly, which is why we needed three films. Um, I, I, I don't mind the prequels anymore for Star Wars. I don't think they're good. I, yeah. I don't. I think Revenge of the Sith is good enough, and I actually don't mind Phantom Menace. Yeah, I they, think they will have their, their clones is, is god awful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's also one of those things where if we didn't get a Star Wars film, I mean, we talked about this when we covered uh, a Star Wars film recently. It might have been Empire or something. But yeah. when the prequels came out, we were like ten. Yeah, we were hyped. It was awesome. It was super exciting. When the Hobbit came out, I was like, I'm done with this. Did you um? Did you watch any of the? any of the star wars celebration stuff did you like follow in the trailer and i just i know um <laughs> the, tra- the trailer's good the trailer's oh good. oh i watched the trailer yeah yeah. I, yeah the trailer's good billy d sweet to yeah, see billy him d sweet i i did get chills when she jumped yeah that was pretty sweet did you watch any of the panel stuff on the mandalorian because no i keep I, all i can think about when i hear mandalorian is ben kingsley why <laughs> because of his name what's his name in iron man 3 the the mandarin <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, all i can think about that's <laughs> all i can think about is every time i hear the mandalorian i just think of like ben kingsley like oh it's just i'm just an actor man <laughs> you know like, it's all i can think about and like sitting in the seat and then like fall, falling asleep and like waking up with a beer in his hand um he's he's great I, he's that, amazing that movie's very underrated um but uh that's because we love shane black what i was gonna say was though uh is uh, i lost my train of thought no the thing i was gonna say was i didn't know this i think this information was out there but did you know Carl Weathers is in The Mandalorian? No. He's one of the main actors? Really? Apollo. Yeah, Chubbs. He's in The Mandalorian. He's As one of the, who? I think he's like a he's a bounty hunter, I think. <laughs> he's Boba Fett. I'm <laughs> so excited. That's pretty badass. I'm like... You, getting, you know how we feel about Carl. Carl Weathers? Like getting to see Weathers in a Star Wars franchise? For you guys that don't know, uh, when we covered uh, Creed 2, yeah. I think... Uh, well, when Ben covered Creed 2 with Kevin and Marissa... Uh, Kevin had said that uh, Stallone had said his biggest mistake was killing off Apollo in Rocky Four. Yeah, that he wished that he wished that he hadn't done it, that he uh, he could bring him back. Yeah, and so just just seeing him like on the seeing him on the stage at Star Wars Celebration, like on the panel with like Pedro Pascal, and like they're all just sitting there like talking about him, like oh my god, 
this is so much more legit now that he's involved. Right? Because, like, there's just something about the gravitas that, like, you know, Dylan... Goddamn alligator bit my hand off. (laughs) The other thing I'm so glad you guys brought up, too, is because I view his deaths as so tragic in the movies he's in, including Chubbs and Happy Gilmore. Oh, my God. (laughs) One of the most iconically tragic deaths in a film. And so I literally thought Carl Weathers wasn't with us anymore. Because every death he has in movies is so sad. so profound. Just to hear that he's a Mandalorian, I'm so excited. I'm like, Carl Weathers is alive. He's resurrected. It's like, seriously, it was kind of like, you were kind of like, oh, is this guy not interested in doing, like, big budget work anymore? Because, like, he's... He's one of the most iconic faces and voices who's done the least work, in my opinion. Yeah. I can think of literally three characters he's ever played. Right. I can't Dutch, think of... Chubbs. Yeah, Dutch, Chubbs, and, and Creed. And Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Like, I there, I can't think of another one. You know? To, to the point, and this is actually hilarious, that Billy Dee Williams is now back in Star Wars at the same time, because growing up... They were like those two. They were those two dudes that were in like nothing, who were oh, yeah. super endearing. And like, I remember at one point thinking they were the same person when I was like twelve, hundred percent. And I looking, think every twelve year old did. And then and and you're thinking to myself like, because like Billy D, I think is in Batman as like, is he the mayor? Is that what it is? Or is he Harvey Dent? Uh, in in Batman eighty nine. Yeah, he's uh, yeah yeah he's the mayor. Um, really quickly, Jeff, uh, the chat was saying they couldn't hear you when you were chiming in. So I just saw that. I'll tune out, but it, I think it'll be on the audio, so you can let okay. them know it should be on the audio. Perfect. It should it should come through on the audio, guys. Uh, but yeah, I'm just excited about it. Sorry, guys, little little detour. Um, what movie are we talking about? <laughs> so so getting back to the show here. Um, we I know we were talking a little bit about uh, Mike Mignola and Gabriel Toro. So yeah. let's let's talk Critical Box Office. Yeah. So Critical Box Office. This was uh, produced by Universal Pictures. It cost eighty five million dollars to make. It was released in July July eleventh of two thousand and eight. It grossed seventy five million, almost seventy six million dollars domestic, an additional eighty four million dollars foreign for a grand total of one hundred and sixty million dollars, almost doubling its budget. Uh, opening weekend, it was it made thirty four million dollars. I'm assuming at number one, it was seven or it's got a seven point zero out of ten on IMDb, and an eighty six percent on the Tomato Meter and a seventy one percent by the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. I think every single one of those scores is incredibly generous for this film. Maybe. Yeah, nope. Every single one of them, <laughs> even the seven I, I think there was a level of creature design. I think there was a. I think there was a level of creature design and like world building that people were really wowed by when this movie came out. That's that's kind of what I've settled on. Yeah, I mean, it was eleven years ago. I remember uh, I was watching the first one again. It was fifteen years ago, and I was I was looking at it. And I was like, wow, the CG in this is really bad. But I bet you fifteen years ago this was sweet. And then when they did have some of the cool practical monster stuff in the first one, I was definitely a little blown away. And I bet they were back then as yeah. well. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, guys, we're going to get into the next part of the show. This is going to be favorite line. Each host sounds off. That's what's written here in the outline. That's, that's, <laughs> that is actually that is one of the few segments we have never changed the description of since day one. Each yeah. host sounds off. Um, I've got a couple. I mean, shuck my ectoplasmic von Stucker was one of them. Solid. Suck my ectoplasmic Von Stucker. <laughs> That's who I wish did it. Uh, but I actually think my favorite line was actually kind of a fist pump. It's when Hellboy finally gets a hold of Prince Nuada. And yes. he goes, you slippery bastard. I got you now. I love that line. Yeah, I don't know. Because yeah, yeah. it's just it's the, it's the hero moment where you're like, oh, now he's going to hurt him. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the, uh, for some reason, it's the, it was the rhythm in which he said it. And kind of, I don't know. He says, sorry, pal. I win. You live. Yeah. Instead of I win, you lose. Right, it was right. just cool. It's I don't cool. know. Those yeah, are yeah. those are my two favorite lines. I think I like um, nothing about this movie. Um, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> I think I like. I think I like uh, early early on in the movie when uh, 
he's talking to Abe after the after they meet the princess, and he walks in all drunk, and he's like, uh, "What's this? Uh, you, the the princess?" <laughs> and he's like. You fell for the princess? Right, right. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was funny. And then, oh, and then Abe just does it. He's like, you do the same for her at the end? Yeah, yeah, he just yeah. betrays him? And we don't, ever, we don't ever talk about that. Yeah, he no. just does it and whatever. Uh, I also kind of liked that she commits looperside. That's what I'm calling it. Looperside? Because she kills herself to kill him. Oh, right, right, right. Just like JGL does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody sweet. calls him that. He, <laughs> you can call him Phil Hoffman. <laughs> um, no, um, I'm going to call him PSH. Um the other one that I like is when when they're talking to the angel of death thing, and she's like, and he's like, you either can save him or save the world. She's like, I'll save him. Yeah. And he's like, you will experience more suffering than is ever imagined. Yeah. And she's like, it'll be worth it. And she's like, they're never making a third movie. <laughs> I'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a sweet line. That whole thing was sweet. I actually, again, there's there's moments in this movie that are so great. Yeah, it's all that stuff. It's it, the non-Hellboy stuff. It's literally yeah. everything in this movie that isn't just a Hellboy comic is really cool. And then you're like, oh, Pan's Labyrinth is really cool. Right. You're like, if you made this just like a really weird, dark adventure drama that has nothing to do with Hellboy. And superheroes and You and don't stuff. have to deal with any of the like campy, like, then it's good. So, I don't know. Um... Here's yeah. my question for you. Huh. How jacked do you think Perlman actually was, and how much of it is prosthetics? Like, his chest is obviously a prosthetic, because it's right. like a giant panel. I think he's way more shredded in the first one, because yeah. there's like a moment where it looks like he's just in makeup, and he's got he's like ripped. He's got like yeah. a six-pack, and I think in the second one, he's gotten a little lazier. It's yeah. been four years, he's probably a little more famous, a little more wealthy. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not like to the level of Shazam prosthetics, I don't think. But Zachary probably was also in better shape than Ron Perlman was. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I just was <laughs> curious because like he, he looks pretty jacked. It looks like the makeup is, you know, partial. But I couldn't tell. It's, it's also possible that it's just like he's skinny and then they just put a lot just, of muscle yeah. on him. And, and guys in the chat, if you know, please let us know what uh, how much of that was actually Ron, how much of it was Guillermo's uh, makeup team. Uh, moving on to AMA question. I mentioned it before. Uh, Every week on the weekend, Saturdays, Richard Eric Jarvie, our good friend, runs our Instagram, and he runs a great competition related to AMA. If you win the competition or selected at random, you will get to ask a question on AMA. What? Oh, you missed promo with his shirt off. It was pretty good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not in shape. Nice Not work, in shape. Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, he says, despite rumors of a trilogy happening from the cast, except for Selma Blair, uh, it never came to fruition. What are other films you would love to see a sequel for that could surpass their prior installments? Um, the other guys. That's the only yeah. one. I Honestly, I was going to say MacGruber. And the nice guys. And the nice guys. <laughs> in fact, all of them are at, just movies that we talked about in our best action comedy <laughs> yeah. episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. Every action comedy that ben and, I, ben and I have ever discussed. And also, I was, I've talked about this before. I would love to see a Wind River franchise of like mm. that guy going and solving mysteries That'd or be crimes. Sweet. I'd love that. Um, I think you probably could... You mentioned a really great one about the like the direct, or it was I don't know if it was you or like a, a, the, a, a married idea of like the directors, yeah, of like famous people like the Steve Jobs and oh the, sure with yeah, like yeah, Danny yeah, yeah. Boyles and the Sorkins of the Facebook, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like another one, like seeing like seeing uh, like Sorkin and Fincher do another one. Yeah, like, like yeah, like if it was like a, the Jeff Bezos story. Yeah, just called Bezos, directed by one of them. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, that'd be that'd be really really awesome. I think. Um, I think that even <laughs> Dark Side Saint 127 says the prosthetics for 2019 Hellboy look so much better, even though they're in a bad movie. Unsurprising. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I think the other one for me, probably, and, and I was thinking about this recently as I was watching it for the first time, but I think if done correctly, even today, 
Um, a sequel to The Devil Wears Prada could be really good. <laughs> you you really will not give up on this. I th- well, okay, so think about this, right? right. Like, uh, Mar- <laughs> Everyone's a superstar. Miranda Priestly, she's a great character. Like, you bring her back, that's easy. And I don't even think you necessarily need Anne Hathaway. I think it makes the movie a bigger draw if you get Anne Hathaway back. She has to. She's now been running a newspaper for ten years. You get her back. Some they have to a team together or something. Oh, gotcha. Because she was like a journalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And then you add in like another superstar to like spice things up. Somebody else awesome. Maybe maybe it's a dude. Maybe you add in Jackman. Maybe you add in somebody who's like, <laughs> no way, Jackman, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? I mean, I, there's any number of people you could add to the movie, but I I kind of can't believe that it never happened. It needs it's, to be it needs to be Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, and then like highly. Haley Steinfeld. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, the, so you, I think you need the younger ingenue for sure, who's uh-huh. like under them. Um, but I also think like just pack it out with like two more stars, make it awesome, and like I don't know, that movie's probably pretty good. I like, watch she's it. She's a great character. Right? Yeah. Priestley. Just, just make sure that it's done well, though. That's the thing is it can't just be can't just be these people thrown in a movie with ideas of the first one, leaning on to stupid jokes that are just like yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Alex says, why didn't they make the Devil Wears Prada 2? Yeah. I'm totally right. Well, she's team guy and you suck. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> do you have a sequel that you wish could happen or not really off the top of your head? So it's a scary thought because it's such a perfect movie, but Edge of Tomorrow sequel? Well, I mean, they talked about it many times. Supposedly happening, right? Is, I haven't even caught up with development. Is yeah. That, I know you guys love that movie and that's such a perfect film. I watched it for the first time 100%. a couple years ago and it's I was so blown good. away. Yeah. It's a scary thought, though, because to undo what's already been done. But yeah. it, then again, that's the point of the movie. Man. It's a really yeah, hard, it's a very hard movie to imagine a sequel working for because most of the charm of that movie can't be repeated in a sequel. You loved that i mean you still love that movie what but do you remember when we first started doing that show you would watch edge of tomorrow like once every couple months oh i still adore that movie. oh it's so it's good. one of my favorite movies yeah i, I think that movie's so good i, I kind of overwatched it a little bit i i like over i watched it a lot of times yeah um but i still love that movie i just dislike the last 20 minutes that's all that's it's just fair. I just it's think little, it falls apart it's a little wild. Uh, okay, Ira, thank you so much for your AMA question. Cage versus Cruz. Uh, we kind of threw in some Nick Cage today with our Von Stucker. Von Stucker. Uh, so, Ben. <laughs> actually, honest question, though. Yeah. 2004, you could have cast Cage. You actually could have cast Cage as, as Hellboy. Hellboy. Do you think it works? <laughs> I mean, do you know who you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're, of course. You're filming this movie. If he can be a ghostwriter, he can be a Hellboy. You're filming this movie in 2003. It's it's you're filming this movie around the time like Matchstick Man hits theaters, an adaptation. So like he's he's, he's like killing it. He's still. bankable, a list, could sell a movie, can open a movie. National Treasure, I'm pretty sure, is the same year as this movie. Oh, someone just said uh someone just mentioned mentioned General or Ed Harris. Yeah. I would love to see a General Hummel prequel that'd be sweet that'd be so good um and i think one one sequel people always talk about that i don't think is ever going to happen is national treasure 3 that's one that i think oh yeah. was surprised never happened yeah uh i i could see nick cage in this but i also think that it could have it could have started his decline a little sooner than we'd liked gone in 70 seconds maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh there are three action movie categories totally ridiculous totally legitimate and ridiculously legitimate um i'm going to say this movie is totally ridiculous yeah i, I think i just have to hop on too i hate to say it because like there are those moments like I, I love the moment where he's talking to nuada and the elemental like yep. those are the moments that feel like it's a real movie but the 90 percent of this movie just feels absurd and like i just don't find any of the characters likable or relatable for the most part so why do they keep hiding creatures inside of old ladies and then trying to play them off like they're dumb yeah. And like sweet old ladies. They just did it in Captain Marvel. Yeah. They did it in Hellboy. They've done it in so many movies. I know. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, yeah. I'm going to say totally ridiculous. I mean, it's almost ridiculously legitimate because I get it. But it, it's again, if he would, if he lives, 
this is the thing. This movie could be totally legitimate if he lives in that world that you're talking about. Yeah. And even if he if he spends most of his time in that world and injects a little bit of the Hellboy comedy, we can be in the middle category. But I think for me, it just goes t- totally ridiculous. If they had made this movie more like the comic and they had made it a little less like jokey and like a little darker. Yeah. Like the first one was, but they still he still puts his comedy in there. Yeah. I just think they just needed that was what the studio probably thought. They were like, this movie won't work unless people are laughing. Yeah. That's I think that I think that's what happened. Which so. is sad because those are the parts that don't work. Totally. So uh, coming up, we have one last thing left to talk about on the show, and that's called the bitch. It's gotten really good. It's really good. I feel like we're very strong at <laughs> we it. We should start a band. Yeah, acapella. <laughs> uh, what are we doing? Uh, is this real? Is this actually? I mean, it's the week before, so it's either that. Is well, this correct though? We I, I like I mean, it's we what's written down. Really? It really is because I you, I like the second one. You don't. Right. No one does. Uh, we've covered a lot of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. So, so the following week we'll do the new one, and then on tag we're doing the other show we talked about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. And we're so, doing a watch along. Yeah. So we are going to be doing next week on the show Marvel's The Avengers yes. 2012's big hero culmination, high grossing, crazy first time you're seeing the MCU characters all together film. Um, this is exciting. This movie's yeah. really good. It's it doesn't have the darkness or the like nuance that I think some of the later movies have, but it's really good, and oh I'm excited God. to talk about it. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to talk about it. Also, uh, how how much did you love that trailer that came out yesterday? The did thing you... that was like the two and a half minutes, like heroes. Yeah, that, and it yeah, shows yeah. it shows all the movies in order up yeah. to the snap, and like, oh god, it looks insane. Here's the other thing that I'm losing my shit over: we will have already, already seen, seen Endgame by the time ah! that we are doing the show next week. So we are going to watch the Avengers, we are going to watch Endgame, and we're going to come and talk to you guys on Wednesday next week about the original Avengers film knowing how it all ends. And it's we have to be spoiler free. We cannot talk about it. So that's the plan. We're going to do an Avengers review and then the following week we'll be doing Endgame. And uh, we can just tease it all now. Yeah. As well, next week on the Action Guys, we are going to be doing a top 10 moments in the Infinity War film, the first one. Yes. Not the second. Um, we'll be taping uh, top 10 films in Infinity, or top 10 moments in Infinity War as it's a way to revisit that awesome, awesome film as we lead into Endgame. And the last thing is we will be doing a watch along once again. Patreon.com slash Team Action. Ben and I will be watching Infinity War together with you guys. Getting everyone ready for Endgame. Whoever's clipping this week, you need to pull the whole pitch because this is some exciting shit. I can't wait. Yeah, everybody at the $10 tier on patreon.com slash team action is going to have a, a free invite to the watch along party. We're going to be doing that probably like in a, we'll announce it. We'll announce it a solid week ahead of time. We're going to probably lock the date down today. Yeah, um, and, and someone did just mention uh, we will have our engineer, Jeff, very, very closely eyeing the chat next week to make sure if anyone t- pops in and tries to ruin anyone's experience of Endgame. Fortunately, it's one of those things you either got to either avoid the chat or just know that something could happen. Spoiler-wise, Jeff will be there to get rid of anyone and delete any comments that do come up. Hopefully that won't happen, uh, but it is something I need to throw out there just in case. Well, I mean, it'll be the Wednesday. Nobody's going to have seen it other than press. Someone could. And, and there was that 40 minutes that leaked online recently and people oh. have already been doing stuff. So I just wanted to throw it out there just in case. I okay. don't want to ruin anyone. Everyone saw the letter that Joe and Anthony wrote yesterday. Yep. So, uh, guys, we are so excited. So hyped. It's like, yeah. I, I rarely do I ever get this hyped for a movie. So, um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. Follow along on Twitter, on Instagram, on Patreon, at Action Industries. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You guys can find me at Andrew Guy. And the last thing we got to do is our general shout out Andrew Hayes, Paul Denuso, Billy Belford, John Getz, and of course, John Patterson. We salute you. We salute you guys. See you next week. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. 
For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only, not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners.